Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. So uh, I forgot with this guest when I was talking to him to give a shout out to our affiliates. So once again, uh, please check out the website and see the affiliates on there. So if you see to the very right, first thing you should see is newfarmsupply.com. So if you guys go to newfarmsupply.com and you get anything on that website, and this includes um, you know, anything that's there. So I don't know why I said this includes, but so if you get anything that's on that website, you actually will save 20% off and it usually gives you free shipping as well. The next affiliate is naturesimagefarm.com or it's not really .com, but if you click on the link, we'll take you to their Facebook page. They're pretty much sold out of everything uh, except for Bocking 4 and 14 of Comfrey. So just email Nature's Image Farm. It's naturesimagefarm at gmail.com. And let them know you're interested in some Comfrey and they will ship it anywhere. So you can work out the details with them. Uh, if you want to start your own podcast, I use podcastblastoff.com. I think it's been it's almost been out for a year. There's a lot more changes coming out, so there's um, you know, we're we're making some changes, so you'll you should be seeing some more changes to my website here soon. And so if you click on there, you get a little bit of a discount or it actually I'm not really sure how it works, but if you want to start your own podcast, Click there. I recommend it. Uh, my good buddy Nathan Frazier runs it, so he'll even do a consulting with you and go over what podcast options, you know, what you want to make your podcast be about. Um, so, yeah, so check that out. And finally, if you guys want to become an urban farmer, I highly recommend you get the Profitable Urban Farming course. If you click on the, link, the first link in the show notes, you'll, you'll actually get a $100 discount if you're going to buy it all up front. And then the second one's a payment plan. All right, guys. Well, enjoy the show. to another episode of the sample hour i'm super happy to have this guest on today um i had him on just over a year ago or just under a year ago and uh you may know this man he is the host of permaculture voices which is a great podcast which if you guys don't already subscribe i would recommend you subscribe and check it out he does some great seasons with darby simpson and curtis stone and now with chris throw um or throw I always it's like the same as Henry David Thoreau, so I guess that's how you say it. But anyways, um, other great content as well. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to go to his last Permaculture Voices, which was just an amazing experience. I can't uh, I can't say how much I I mean I can't put into words how much I actually got out of that just with networking and everything. So. Mr. Diego Footer, first and foremost, thank you so much for uh, putting on that event, man, and allowing me to meet a whole bunch of cool peeps. And uh, sec secondly, man, how you doing? Doing well. Life is good. A lot, lot different than it was 365 year days ago when we first recorded. Yeah, same here, man. Same here. Uh, so the funny thing, why, why I wanted to have Diego on today, as many listeners know, 
Uh, both Diego and I, with the first time we both talked about how we wanted to get out of corporate America. Um, you know, somebody said it best, man. One of my listeners, we just we just butchered a bunch of turkeys and uh, chickens and everything at uh, Greg Burns's. And uh, one thing a guy said to me was like, man, you know, when you work for a company and you're making like six figures a year, they they kind of own you. And it's really hard to to take those those handcuffs off. And I had come to the realization that I was just going to ride this job out until I got a severance. And then two days later, I get this, <laughs> I get called in the front of a room, and they're like, uh, the "Yeah, no, you guys, the no pay severance." Oh, I, I oh yeah, I got actually got a severance, so I didn't get a no pay severance. But you got a no pay severance, so your situation was a little bit different. So here, uh, talk about your situation, how how things went down for you. It's probably a bit unique given the scenario I was in, but I think there's some principles in here that translate well to a lot of people. So my job was a contract position. It was a contracted position between me and one person, so my boss, and we both worked for a company. So the company was essentially the umbrella. We're under the umbrella. My contract was with him, not with the company. The company just blessed it essentially. Like before that, you had worked for the company, but you you switched to to being a contractor. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. When we last okay. talked, if that was December, I would have been still a company employee at that point. And then later that month in December, I ended up basically quitting. They freaked out and said, "No, no, no, we don't want you to leave. Please come back." And that's when my who who was my most recent boss stepped in and said. I have a position that I think you'd be good for and that you'd like. If you want it, let's talk. We ended up talking, and then I basically took on a contract position with him starting in January, but it didn't go into effect until after PV3. So I started there, restarted there in early March. Okay. So how? So you had like a? Did you have like a couple of weeks off, like a month off, or I had three months? Maybe, no, two months. Three off. months. I had two January, months off. January and February off, and it was great. It was, I felt like I got years back that I had lost. It was just unreal to have that big break. You know, you always think in college, you get that month off a lot of times between first semester, second semester. And I missed that going into the corporate world, not having any sort of break. And I didn't take a lot of vacations over the 10 years that I'd been at this job. So having those two months off solid to be at home, to work on stuff, to just re-energize was great. And that's probably the only reason I made it through another year of the corporate scene is because I got those two months to reset and recharge. That makes sense. Yeah. So so you had already kind of planned on for this anyways, and then they gave you an opportunity that you were like, well, I don't really want to turn this down. You know, it's good money. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. I still get this income. And so you did that from March until what, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Well, yeah. So initially, like last year, I was thinking about quitting. That was more just pure emotion quitting. I hated it. I didn't like who I was working for. I didn't like what I was doing. I wanted to get out. In hindsight, I probably was not ready or prepared to get out. It would have just been a straight emotional move, it was probably would have been a misstep. So when I got this new opportunity, it solved a lot of the problems that I had with my current position. 
different boss, different type of work, different pay structure, different location. A lot of things got solved. So it was essentially upgrading the position within the company, even though it was really a a sideways move. Yeah, and and it covered the money was decent. So that brings me up to recently. So if we go back about two months, I decided enough is enough. I've given this a try for nine months now. I've been at this company almost 11 years, 11 years actually probably today literally, and decided, you know, I'm going to quit when my contract runs out. Well, lo and behold, about 10 days ago, my boss gives me a call and informs me he's leaving the company. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, surprise, guess what? I wasn't going to renew either. But what this has done with me is put me in a little bit of a predicament where when my boss left, it effectively dissolved the contract we had. So now I'm this person in an office within our company that doesn't have a contract with anybody because the person I had a contract with is now gone. Today, kind of realized that and put all the pieces together. So I decided tomorrow I'm not going in because I have no way to get paid because I'm not under contract. So what I'll do now is essentially go in on Monday talk to the company CEO or at least of, of our branch and then try and iron out a deal to deal with transitioning over some of the business for my boss leaving, which gets me through the end of the year most likely. So, and, then and, was, and then I'm out. Was your contract pretty much just set up for the whole year of 2016 then? It went to like when December you, 10th. Okay. Okay. So you – yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing too when it goes to planning and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do this contract, and then it ends before you're going to renew it. it. I mean, I, I'm guessing that it's like, okay, I was I was lining all my ducks in a row, but they weren't all in a row yet. Was that kind of it? Or is that kind of a, a feeling you have right now, or are you for the most part you're pretty good? But it'd just be nice to keep keep going till that date. No, I'm good. I, I definitely have planned for this for a very long time. So I was ready. The thing that this did by my boss leaving is it left me as kind of now the key man tied to all the business that my boss had. He's gone. I'm remaining. I'm a tie to a lot of that business and the customers associated with that business. So I realized I suddenly have a lot of leverage. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, they need me to help bridge that business from him who will be gone two days from now to the people who will be taking over that business going forward. So the only real chaos that's put into play here is I'm trying to utilize that leverage to get through the rest of the year just to get a little bit more money and basically maximize what I can get and then reevaluate from there. But that's really where it's throwing me for a loop is just this. But thank God I prepared and knew this was coming. I cannot imagine being blindsided by getting laid off and there are millions of people out there at risk of that. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I'd been, I mean, I'd been preparing too. like, I've done multiple failed businesses. <laughs> like first was the comedy promotions, which it's a lot of fun and everything. And then we, you know, we opened up this club, but I mean, that's, that's, I don't, I, I need to check in with the guy that's running that. But to my understanding, it's, it's staying open which is what I had hoped, but it's not like I'm not getting a return on this. And then um, then it was, you know, I'm, I'm doing this farming business, and then it was kind of like a test year, and I planned on expanding and trying to figure that out. 
Um, but because I already had these things in place, it was a relief for me when I got laid off. Like I knew it was coming. I knew the the amount of money they were paying me and for as easy a job that I had here in the Midwest. I'm like, well, this, this isn't going to last more than two years. And it lasted just under three years. So I, you know, I, I, I'd planned and I knew in advance and I think like, I think it's important that people kind of have an understanding that if you're, I, I think it's fine and well, if you want to work a job, I, I totally get that. I mean, I don't think that's, that's definitely not for me permanently, but just the, the way the economy is shifting and, and the way, I mean, like, I mean, I worked at a telecommunications company and I mean, just being in that, that field for 10 years, like there's, there's just becoming fewer and fewer companies. Like right after I was working at Time Warner Cable, right after that was sold to Charter. Um, and actually, like, I think it was like the week before I got laid off. Uh, Level 3 just was bought by CenturyLink. And before that, Level 3 bought TW Telecom. So all these companies are consolidating. And I think uh, it's it's kind of happening with banks too and, and other fields too. And so... When these companies merge, they don't need two of the same job. I mean, and it was it was kind of like it. I understood where where Charter was coming from, and I was pretty happy about getting laid off, getting a nice severance package, a qualify for unemployment, all this stuff. So I'm still gonna have some money coming in, and then I can just focus on okay, am I gonna do this aggregator? How do I do this aggregator? And like still, you know, kind of connecting dots with the farm business. Um, but you know, certain people there, they just bought houses. They were just having more kids. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm never, I've never been comfortable enough in a, in a job to, to make that kind of commitment. So, um, I, what are your kind of thoughts on the, just the way this economy is changing and, and, and why, why it's important for people to be prepared because chances are, I mean, there's, there's gonna be a lot more layoffs and I, and I especially think there's going to another recession coming. So. Yeah, there's a lot of factors to play. I mean, if you look at the economy, that's one thing that you're vulnerable to. You are vulnerable to changing technology, which is changing at an ever-increasing rate now that could make your job redundant or it could just make your knowledge base redundant. So I think having a job is fine for some people. Not everybody's cut out to be self-employed. I get that. But if you are having a job, you cannot be complacent. You either have to be building something on the side or staying on top and ahead of all of your peers there by increasing your knowledge self, investing in yourself, making yourself more valuable to that company. So if lightning does strike and the company gets taken over or they go out of business or technology changes or regulations change or the economy changes, that you're at least in a position where you have some control over what you can do next. A lot yeah. of people just, I think they become complacent and just go through the motions and that feels great. It's easy. But the problem is it's like anything when it's easy, when that black swan comes in and hits, the shock is enormous because there's been no preparation done for it. I've seen my dad get laid off. I've been laid off in the past. I'm now in the situation where you know, they want me back, um, but I've kind of evolved now to realize I, I don't want to go back. Yeah. And that's a I good mean, place to be in. I, I agree, too. I think you're in a damn good place to be in. Now, when you were first laid off, is that kind of what made you want to start doing stuff, like, on on the side or start building a business, which, you know, get, you know, getting permaculture voices and really building that up? 
was that experience of getting laid off, was that like a big motivating factor for you? Or did, were you always kind of a self-employed entrepreneur type? No, this was first out of college. So I took a job based upon, call it the prestige of the job, the honor of the job, the money wasn't something I really wanted to do. I knew that going into the job. I was pretty vocal about it at the job that I wanted to go back to grad school and get an MBA. And a lot of my focus around that time while I was at that job was going to night school, taking classes at the time. I was more clocking in, clocking out, no extra minutes. And I was not 100% invested in the job. And it was a position where they wanted somebody to be 1000% into the job living that position. I wasn't the position. And it's it's kind of funny looking back because this is 2004. I was preparing to quit. One day <laughs> I submitted all my vacation to burn up all my last vacation to my boss. And I'm like, did you get this vacation request? No response, no response. I get called into this head office for the area that we were in and they let me know we're going to let you go. And it was just like, well, yeah. surprise, I was going to leave anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was, were you kind of relieved in a sense? I mean, I got unemployment out of it, which I guess yeah. was, was a benefit that I didn't have. It it was more, yeah, I mean, I didn't have to go through the hassle of quitting, which is always awkward because there's some, you know, loyalty and friendships that form when you work at some place. You know, they, they made that decision for me. And it was probably a, a blessing in disguise because it happened – probably about two months before I was going to pull the trigger. So it gave me a little bit of extra time. But again, I was 24 years old, so a lot more arrogant, a lot stupider in many ways. I think I just kind of rolled with it. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, uh, I, I mean, that's really similar to my situation, except they let everybody in the call center go. It was like, uh, yeah, they just pulled everybody in front of the room. They're like, bad news. Everyone's laid off, uh, A through E, meet with this group, uh, F through this, this, this HR person. And it was, I, I was, uh, at first I was kind of, you know, man, am I really ready for this? And then I found I was getting a severance and everything. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. This is better than any situation I could have had of just quitting on my own. Like this is, this is the, this is, this is definitely a blessing in disguise for me. And now I have time, like I spend, you know, holidays with my family or like my I can go have Thanksgiving with, you know, my aging grandfather who, like, really is somebody that got me into this space of, you know, small-scale farming and everything. So, uh, man, it's 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 been great for me. Um, so what – so now what are your plans, I guess, with the future to, you know, you, you Permaculture Voices, you know, you've really scaled that up in this past year, um, done a lot of different things. Uh, what, what is the plan like going forward? Because, you know, you, you don't really want to be doing, um, this contracting gig, I'm guessing, unless they offer you a lot more money, which is, uh, if they make a big offer to you, would you think you'd, you'd resign or no, but I've, I've kicked this around the last two days a lot to the point where it's been hard to sleep. Like this is very, <laughs> very recent. Literally, I mean, literally today, yesterday, and I've kind of come to the point of it's not about money. I mean, I, I've always known this, 
but there's no amount of money that they can offer me that's going to make it worth my while. Now, let's put some context to that. They're not going to offer me a million dollars a year. So within the realm of reality of what they could actually be expected and would offer me, that amount isn't enticing enough. And I have to look at if I'm going to get paid, what is the trade-off for getting that pay? So in my case, that means if I sign another contract for a year or commit to another position, I'm getting some amount of money, probably sixty dollars to $120,000, which is a base salary plus some bonus structure built into there. Now, that covers my bills and gives me extra money to put into savings. I don't really, this may sound crazy to some people, the extra money beyond my bills, I kind of look at as, meh, I don't need that. I don't have debt to retire. I only have a mortgage, so I'm getting more money. But that money, again, comes at a cost. I'm being away from my family. I'm pushing aside opportunity to work on other businesses that I have. I have a daughter that's four months old now, so I'm essentially missing a big part of her growing up. That's worth a lot of money to me. So what I've had to do is step back and say, if I don't have that job, can I pay my bills between the income I have and the savings I have? Yes. Do I have some stuff now that generates income that I think I can grow along with other opportunities to add more income? Yes. Am I in 100% total control of this? Yes. Am I location independent? And can I work with who I want and around who I want? Yes. So the company really now has no leverage in this because they can't just come at me with money. And again, they're not going to – this isn't baseball. They're not going to throw a bunch of millions and millions of dollars at me. That's not the situation I'm in. So whether they offer me fifty dollars or $55,000 a year's base salary – That doesn't move the needle on my front because that doesn't address where I'm at in life or what I'm looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think. So I just don't see the point in going back. Like, and I'm a big believer now, and I could go back part time. I think they'd be receptive to that. But then the question becomes is what's the point of getting partially the way there to pay my bills. So in other words, say I needed $5,000 a month. If a job makes me $2,500 a month and I'm still $2,500 short, do I want to take that job? It doesn't get me to pay all my bills and I'm still wasting a bunch of time there. It's creating stress. There's liability. There's hassle. There's commitment. You know, I have to be professional about it. There's opportunity cost. So if I'm not getting all the way there, then I throw that out. And I heard this quote recently, it's a Derek Sivers quote, and it's the best plan is the plan that you can have the most optionality with, the plan that you can most easily change. And if I go back and work for a company, well, I have no option there other than quitting. It's work for them and do what they say with what I agree with at the beginning because I'm a big believer in do what you say you're going to do and do it to the best of your ability. So it's either do that for the agreed upon period of time or quit where if I don't go back, do whatever I want. I can try stuff. If it doesn't work, I can drive for Uber. I can drive for Amazon. I can go back to this company, work part-time, but I have a lot more optionality and that's what I want at this stage in my life. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, man. I think, uh, 
I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of, a, you know, having an option to have multiple streams of income. I mean, I, that was actually the first thing. I don't actually think I can drive from Uber because my car's too old, but I could definitely do Amazon. Like we just got, I think we got Prime now, I think in May. And there's lots of opportunity, man. There's like signing bonuses and all this stuff because it's new. So I was like, man, worst comes to worst. If I need side income, I can just do that and work whenever I want. And I think that's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities like that now anyways. And then, and also too, like, is how much is that, is your time worth for, you know, focusing on more stuff with permaculture voices or other businesses versus sitting in, in a cubicle that you're going to be miserable at, you know what I mean? And it, it's not even just the money. It's just, you know, quality of life, I think goes, just goes so far. It's, it's, it's the most important thing. Well, exactly. How much are these years of my life worth? When I'm 70 and look back, how much are the years in my mid-30s worth when my kids are one, three, and five? That's worth a lot of money, a lot of money to me at least. And as I get older, that value of these years will go up and up and up. And I look at it like this. If you are going to go back like I could look at it and I actually played around this scenario what if I go back with the whole idea is I'm going to make money but I can somehow fast track my business on the side so if I can make a hundred thousand dollars I could dump 50 of that into permaculture voices and get permaculture voices up to speed faster like in, in other words I can trade my time that's valued highly at the corporate job and recycle that money into the business with money I otherwise wouldn't have, allowing that business to grow faster. And I tried to really look at those scenarios, and I'm not really in a situation where if I dump a bunch of money on everything I'm doing with Permaculture Voices, it'll fast-track it. But I think you could make a case for doing something like that, like a, a farming comes to mind, yeah. where you know, working a job and being able to buy better infrastructure in the beginning I think can help you along, especially when it comes to livestock. So I looked at that. That didn't really make sense. Um, it, it was just I, I really tried to look at all the scenarios. Too many people, I think, make a decision based upon, well, I need to make money. I need a salary. And it needs to come down to well, how much and why and what are all your options for giving that, getting that salary and what are the cons of doing any of those options? And are you fa fairly valuing the cons not just the dollar amount, because that's the other thing. You know, I could make $100,000 a year. I go back to work. I'm putting money in the bank. But in the back of my mind, I'm still going to be thinking about the stuff we're talking about right now and wanting to do this. I'm just pushing it back in time. I'm still going to be wanting to start a side business. I'm not going to shut all the PV stuff down. So why why divert my whole path to the future over to the corporate side if I'm still going to want to go this other way anyway? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. And I think uh, it was working this job and getting my infrastructure in place for, you know, just for, you know, even just getting my backyard set up so I could take you know, everything I have and move it, whether it be like my walk-in cooler or all my tools, like my Jang, and I got the greens harvester and all the important stuff. Like it was nice to be able to just pay cash for that. So now it's, it's now that I do have time. And I think that was the biggest thing for me last year is I didn't, I didn't put the proper time into my business because I was, I was at work, man. And I was making money and I was trying to get stuff set up. And then 
I'd have a few days off and I, and I just felt like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't have the proper time to put into this. And I, and I'm not a guy that gets up at 4am to, and where's the, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not Rob Kaiser wearing the, the flashlight, the head flashlight. And it was, uh, and it was just something I, I was like, man, but you know, at least I have this infrastructure. And, and I think that's, that's the one thing. So, you know, if, when you are preparing for something on the side, like even if you're doing your business and you're doing a really shitty job at it, like I did last year, um, like I had sales and I had contracts. I just couldn't, and I had people, I still have people that want to work with me, but I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do a consistent enough supply. And I think, but now, you know, at least now I had that experience and I, and I put that money into it, um, you know, just talking to that. But I think, I think, you know, when you're doing what you're doing and you're, you're putting in the work in your podcast, and you've already done this for a year and you scaled up, perma, excuse me, permaculture voices, you, you just kind of changed things up. You did this event with, uh, excuse me, um, with Darby. It just doesn't make sense to, to, to do another year and try to put more money into, into your business when in reality you probably just need to put more time into it, if that makes sense. No, it does. It totally does. There's two tools there, and sometimes you can't have them both. There's money, there's time. Sometimes it's good to trade your time for money because sometimes with corporate jobs, the fastest way to put money in our pocket is through trading our skills to a corporation for money. And yeah. at certain stages of the business, that is highly critical. But there's also the time aspect. And at certain stages of your business, you're going to need to put in the time. And doing a corporate job and doing a part-time side hustle job or business, they can butt heads. And the biggest thing I saw through doing that workshop, through emails I get from people is just what you said. I think there's – people don't apply realistic expectations to how things could actually work given the time that they have. So yeah. you may want to start a Curtis-style farm or run pastured poultry. But the first thing I would ask people is lay out your week right now as you see it and as you see it going forward for the next six months on a calendar, a day-to-day -day calendar. Allocate the time that you need. Look at the time that's left. And is that enough time to actually dedicate to the enterprise that you're doing to make a dent? where you can then associate expectations with that time. If you're putting serious time into this, well, then you can expect, okay, this should be gaining traction. If you only have a few hours a day and some time on the weekend, well, then maybe you approach that first year as straight learning. I'm going to try all these certain crops. I'm going to try all these certain techniques. And I'm going to get those things down knowing next year I'll scale back, kind of like Scott did, you know, pulled, restricted his hours so he could go more into farming and do that. But it's it's just trying to balance that out and where people get this wrong. And again, I've seen it time and time over from emails and questionnaires we've done. It's people just, they want to do it all. Yeah. And they I want to do the black they, soldier fly. I want to do this. I want to, I want to have bees. I want to have chickens. I want to do market gardening. It's like, it's not fucking realistic, man. Like I, I had these pepper plants that thankfully my buddy wanted to do. So I had these pepper plants running in my hoop house. But otherwise, man, I would have just had a lot of dead pepper plants from the seeds I started. I mean, there's even, there's, I mean, there were so many crops this year, Diego, that I just had these dead plants sitting in my hoop house because it was like, yep, I'm not going to plant those. I'm just going to focus on what's paying me right now, which is 
salad salad mix and it's like and i have such a i have like 11th of an acre in my backyard why do i need to do a ton of variety outside of quick salad greens and it was just kind of like i learned that and, it, and i wasn't even trying to take on too much but even then I, I can only imagine what what that does to like mental morale when you try to take on all this shit and then you fail at all of it then you're like oh man am i a farmer and it's like well you don't really know because you just try to do too much shit well, that's it. People try and do too much and they want to do it all tomorrow. And I try and always tell people, your goal is not to get to where you want to be in two weeks. It's to get there and stay there for 20 years. And if it takes you five years to get there, so be it. But you want to make it to year 20. And if you screw up too much in year one, trying to go too fast, meaning you're too aggressive, you burn yourself out, you don't learn the proper base principles of whatever operation you're doing, you blow yourself up financially, then it doesn't matter what you do in year one because or the long-term vision doesn't suddenly matter because you blow yourself up right away. You never make it out of the beginning stages. So people yet restrict back. You don't have to do it all now. Don't overestimate your ability. Too many people, I think, think they can get so much done in a day or a week, but they undervalue what they can do in a year or two or three or four years. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, man. There's uh, this guy I've been meaning to have him on for when I first started, but uh, he uh, he wrote these books like the 50 classics of like self help and prosperity and all this stuff. And then he wrote he wrote a book. Uh, it was like his first solo book that was just kind of his thoughts. But the big point that it's all based on is everybody overestimates what they can accomplish in a year and underestimates what they can do in ten. And it's and it's just like people are amazed at what they accomplish in ten years. And then they get frustrated about what they didn't accomplish in one year. So it's, uh, I, I think you're absolutely dead on, man. And I, th I think too, like, I mean, even for me, like I, I was so frustrated and I wanted out of corporate America so much that I was like, yeah, I'm going to go move because I have land that I can move to. But it was like, you know, it was like, okay, you, you didn't even have your infrastructure set up. You did virtually zero planning for the year. You just thought you could wing it because you've been successful at winging everything else in your life. And then it's like, you know, and then then I did farming and I got, you know, nature gave me a pretty harsh reality check about how I wasn't prepared. And and then it was just kind of like, you know, Greg Burns said something good to me. And he's like, man, like if one more failed season, you, you could be KO'd for farming and you never actually measured it or gave it a, a fair enough shot. And, and, and I think that's it's the same thing of what you're just saying. No, that's brilliant. I'm with you. I think. The cruel irony of all this is you have infinite opportunities to try farming or any business, but the reality is most people get one shot because they can't mentally handle or sometimes financially handle the first failed one. And I love what he said there, Greg said there, that's brilliant of the idea of you may fail initially never actually having given it a proper shot because there's so much learning curve. Like there's so much people don't think about when they start any business, myself included, that it's almost the first X percent, whatever that percent is, 50% of the first five years, 25%, it's going to be different from everybody. But a large percent of that beginning time is you just spinning your tires, figuring out how the system works, how you work within the system, how your market functions, all these little things. And you can never game that ahead of time. You can't pencil it out. 
it's not ever going to really sink in until it's you in the heat of the moment out there dealing with this stuff. And then you just learn and adapt as you go. And it takes a lot of mental resiliency to push through that initial phase. And most people, they just, they aren't cut out for it. They're just not. And that's why jobs come into play. So if you're going to take a job, at least find a job you like. Yeah. Yeah. I try to get it on your terms, man. Try to make it the best bad situation you can make it, which, uh, I mean, that was, that was my struggle with uh, my last job, man. Cause I, unlike you, man, I, I took vacation. I was out of vacation time. I feel like before June every year. And then it was like, okay, I got all this, <laughs> I got all this sick time and I get so many occurrences. How can I maximize this sick time? And then it's like, okay, well, I'm borderline where I might get fired based on my occurrences. And my boss is always like, I had a good boss. So it was like, okay, what can we do this sick time? So schedule half days for fake doctor's appointments all the time. And it was like, and it was just to do shit. Like it was, it was also interesting too, man. When we got let go, I was like, this is great. I can go do this. I can help Joel. We can get Joel's plot set up. Like today I went over to Joel's and it was like, man, I need some exercise. We need to get some of this leaf mulch spread on these beds. Cause we just like, we just built these beds and we put some cover crops in and, uh, and it's like, man, like let's just go spread leaf mulch. And it's like, yeah, this is great. I was done by noon. I've, I got this great workout in, got something productive done for next year. All right, let's edit the podcast. And it's like, man, it's like my life is great right now. It's like a vacation. It's like, this is the shit I just do on my vacation. And it's like everybody else, man, it's like, Oh, what do I do? I can't watch so much TV. And it's like, and I, and I think a lot of it is because people don't spend enough time with themselves and they don't think about what they actually even want. And I think a lot of people are just, it, it even goes more of just like going through the motions of life versus going through the motions at work. And I think that's why people do get so comfortable in jobs, especially jobs that pay you good money for, you know, not even, I mean, I was... I was in sales, man, and, and and it was the easiest sales job I ever had. All I had to do was answer the phone and sell. But also, I had to deal with a bunch of assholes that weren't even my customers. And it's like, man, like the most relieving thing about this, Diego, is now when I do have my business and now when I am focusing on it, if it's if somebody's an asshole, man, I'm not going to do business with them because I don't want to deal with it. Like It's like, man, I've dealt with enough assholes for somebody else. I'm not going to do that for me. Well, so. you know, think of this, Drew. I mean, we're we're in the red pill group. Like yeah. we and I I lose sight of this myself. I, and I'm on the hyper side of the red pill group. Most people, I think just they don't think like this at all. So they are totally into the I'm fired. Oh shit. I guess yeah. I get to watch TV. What do I do next? They I don't think there have ever been taught their parents never taught them. The school never taught them. Society doesn't teach them to do anything but go to work, consume, and repeat. So when you break that cycle, I don't think they know actually how to function. I mean, go back to when you first took this job. You know, why did you take it? I took it to have money to do businesses. <laughs> okay. That was, but the reason why, though, was because my last job, man, that I just hated, I didn't know what to do and I cashed out my 401k and that's why I started the podcast and then it was like that situation and I didn't get unemployment and like that situation was like I uh I was supposed to start that job and I failed my background check and it was like and I just got literally got off the phone with my old boss who was a jerk just saying hey dude you can go screw yourself 
Um, and it was like, oh man, like what, what am I going to, what am I going to do? And then it was like, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur before, but I just didn't know what kind of business I wanted to do. And then I was just kind of in this limbo spot. And then it, I started the podcast and really from the podcast, man, is when I just started saying, okay, you said you were going to do this. It took you a year to do it. You know, don't do that anymore. If you want to do stuff, just do it. And then I was working, you know, shitty jobs. I was making, I think I went from making like 60 grand a year to 21 grand in one year. And I was like a door guy at a nightclub. And most of, you know, that I got a bunch of cash from tips and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so it, 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 I was prepared. So when I, when I took this gig, it was, it was mainly, you know, I want to have a good source of income. I'm going to keep my expenses low. So, I mean, that's why I, I live in a house with like $600 rent. Like, it's just like it, for me, it was always, you know, get in this position. So the next time when it does happen, you're ready. And that was, that was kind of it. So it, it kind of went a full circle. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So would you knowing that take another corporate job? I don't think so. No, I don't want to. If I absolutely had to, like if it was like I I try to do because I'm definitely gonna do this aggregator and let's say that let's say I fail miserably at that. Like let's say I, I just do a terrible job with it and you know it just blows up in my face and, and I'm and I have to take a job. You know, even if I did have to take a job, I, I think it's worth it to say I think it looks way better on a resume to have failed business versus, Oh, I went back to school or something like that. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, if, if, if somebody was going to pay me, man, I think I might take it if, if it was good terms and I could make like 200 grand a year or something like that, but it would have to be, they'd have to pay me a lot of money. Like it wouldn't be, there's no way I would just do, I I don't think I'd want a, a, a low base salary. Like I had now it was heavy commission based. Um, just because I've been in too many situations where the company just starts going in a different direction. They just start cutting their sales reps pay. And that, that happened to me at Verizon. So I don't, I, I don't think I'd want to be in some grind of a sales job again, but I, my answer right now is no, but in the future, I mean, I, I mean, if, if it was a good opportunity or it was something for me to learn a, a good skill and it would be on my terms, I could see me potentially doing it, but I, I, right now I'm going to say no. Yeah. So I guess the ultimate determination of that will just be how well the next thing you do works. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. And, and, and I, I mean, honestly, Diego, like I'd like to have multiple, multiple businesses, but I, I need to get one going now. And I think, I mean, talking to Javin and talking to uh, Luke Callahan and a lot of people, everyone's just kind of like, man, you're not really a, a farmer. Not that I'm, not that I, I'm I'm shitty at growing food, but it's like, man, my favorite aspect of farming was, oh man, I'm going to these restaurants, networking, and then all of a sudden I had every place I was going to that was like, yeah, I want to buy everything I can off you, and I think too, like I'm in a good position in Columbus, Ohio, which like, you know, our number one form of entertainment, we don't have an ocean. It's like I think the best way to describe Columbus, Ohio is it's like a West Coast city without any ocean, and it gets really cold, but it's like there's still a lot of hip stuff, like there's cool. The food scene's really good. People are really starting to embrace local food, and they want to get, you know, local arugula and everything else like that, and they want to actually get it farmed. And it's it's surprising because there's, like, a lot of hydroponic operations going on, which is it's just kind of weird. Um, but, I mean, every place I wanted to go, I wanted, you know, 40-plus pounds of salad a week, and it was like, man, like, I, I could do, you know, I could do f- maybe 40 every other week. 
and it was and it was and that was just for one spot so it was kind of at this position to where well i could i could become a better farmer um and like continue to to do that craft which i'll probably still do um just on my small scale but or does it make more sense for me to just build relationships with other farmers that are good at growing food but aren't necessarily good business people or salespeople? And so Javin just kind of told me, like, man, like, you enjoy sales, and most farmers don't. Like, I, you know, that's really what you should focus on. And I, and Luke said the same thing to me. So it's just kind of like, you know, that makes sense to me. Like, I'd rather be going to restaurants, going to farms, hanging out with farmers, hanging out with restaurants, and kind of be that middle guy. Yeah, hearing you say that, it sounds like you're you're trying to convince yourself not to do the farming. And I, I would agree. I mean, I yeah, like I don't know that that makes sense. Hearing you explain it the way it does, you know, it's like the, look at the conference for me. I that was essentially my baby. That's what I started with. That's what I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, it wasn't going to get me where I wanted, despite all the parts of it that I loved. There was a lot of parts that didn't work. And I probably turned a blind eye to that for a while because it was just me hiding from reality, as Javin would say, or ignoring reality. Yeah. And it was finally when I accepted that and just said, okay, what's really going on here? Where do I want to go? What's the best tool to get me there? Forget what I want, just what is going to work. Yeah. And then when I started focusing on that, suddenly life got so much easier and I've heard this phrase, it's, you know, so many people want to push the snowball uphill. And it's like, why? Why push it uphill? You, know, yeah. you want to be pushing it downhill. Yeah, I think it's cool to say I'm a small-scale farmer. And I think it's kind of like it was cool to say that I promoted comedy shows. But realistically, after doing it and realizing, you know, what do I really like about this? I think it's, you know, it sounds cool, but, you know, I know I could make money farming, but I know I could, it's mainly just because I'm good at sales. Like I don't, I mean, it would be, I'm not going to do farmer's markets because it's like, man, that's a huge, it was like, I, it's a lot of time with prep, but it's way easier to just drop off all this bunch of food at a restaurant and leave. And so it's like, so, you know, when you look at what's worth my time more and it was like, so what, well, what's worth your time more? Is it getting in your backyard and farming where, I mean, that was kind of why you sucked at your business is because you didn't really like putting in the time to clean your microgreens trays or go out there and weed and stuff like that. You liked harvesting and you like selling it or is it, should you, should you just kind of remove that process and just focus on what you're good at? Like do, the, do what you're good at, do what you'd like. I mean, what would you pay yourself yeah. to do in your own business? There's another way to look at it. You know, yeah, would, that's would you true. pay yourself 50 bucks an hour to do the sales or the growing, if you can only pay yourself to do one or the other. And yeah. when you start to look at it like that, it goes one way or the other. And I hear you. I mean, there's other stuff that I've thought of doing and wanted to do. It sounds cool. And I've just had to realize, like, the idea of saying I'm a blank doesn't pay the bills, doesn't yeah. get me to where I want to be. And I've just Being had to accept cold. Being cool doesn't usually put money in your bank account. No, can, no, but. no. Not unless you're, I don't know, who, Brad Pitt or. Yeah, not unless you're a celebrity. Right. And I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> not yet. We're not there yet. Not, not yet, Diego. Soon, you know, soon. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I 100% agree. So what So what are your plans really now for, for you know, permaculture voices and in, in doing and, like, kind of expanding there? Like, what 
what are you so now that you're going to have this free time outside of family what are you going to be doubling down on yeah this has been a a lot of thought and this is kind of another active process so this is going inside the brainstorming that's happening now i mean the first thing i'm trying to do is step back and look at 2017 as a year and say okay what are all the things i think i want to do like just dreamless brain dump here's everything i want to do then take that list and say which of these things are going to make money now and potentially if i put the work in that will make money for the long term with less work required in the long term so essentially they become more passive and come up with that list and then when can i actually do these because my initial instinct is to want to start them all january 1st and that's not going to work so it's like looking at a calendar okay if i if i do this project a b c and d i'm going to start project a in january i'm going to give that january february to work on and then move to project b and c and d because there's a lot of stuff that goes along with those projects marketing them supporting them doing down the line stuff that you don't always think of so what does that actually mean on the ground i mean realistically it's probably freeing myself up from some time which means scaling back some of the content that i've been putting out which buys me some more time i'm going to probably do at least one book in 2017 and then i'm going to do another workshop in person with darby continue doing the remaining podcast and and promote that through the patreon thing the listener supported radio that's really it right now i mean those are kind of the main things and that takes up a fair bit of work there's there's some other projects in the pipeline that'll be out by january that'll be in play you have some workshops with curtis and chris which are for sale. So, I mean, I have stuff out there. It's just more, one, cleaning up what I have to make it easier to sell those products on my end, and then trying to focus on some new projects that are suited for me that I enjoy. Give me cash flow now, and then give me cash flow down the line. I get that that may sound like a bit of a mess, but this is the planning stage, not necessarily the doing stage. So. I think I'm okay to be messy at this stage. No, but I think it's all, it, it's all, it all falls in line with what you're already doing. I mean, it just sounds like you're going to just be more organized with what you're already trying to doing, what you were already doing, working a full-time job, but at the same time, just adding a couple other things. So I, I don't think it sounds that messy realistically, man. I think that's, I think that's a good plan. I think, um, I mean, you have a, you have a great big audience, man. I mean, it's and one thing too, man, something else, too that i think you know we're both similar as we're 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 community builders in a sense like you know and i think that was the biggest thing that you know yeah pv one two and three it didn't you you thought that's what you wanted to do and you it didn't work out to the way you thought it was going to but at the same time what it did do is build a huge community and it paved the way for the podcast too which is even better and um so that i mean that's i think that's the thing too man like i you know, going into farming, I'm like, man, I'm going to be a farmer. That sounds great. I want to be just like this dude, Curtis, who's, you know, making 100 grand a year doing this. And then it was, well, I like farming to an extent, but then at the same time, this is what I'm good at. So this isn't really working out the way I thought it would. 
but now, you know, I can shift gears and, and, and still stay in this field or in this realm, but just do something a little bit different, if that makes sense. So I think what you said makes great sense, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and no, you're dead on. And I, I try and look at the conferences like that. Is That's why I say they, they failed financially, but in many other ways they were a win. You know, I wouldn't be here today at the stage that I'm at with the path to the future that I have if I didn't do those three conferences, if I didn't live through three years of hard times, spend a lot of money to do that. Now, in hindsight, if you if if I look back and I look at everything that I went through and I stacked it in front of me now and said, oh, you got to go through this to get to where you want to be. I don't know that I'd want to go through that (laughs) again, but I see the value in doing it. It was some of the hardest, most trying times of my life, but that was my tuition. I mean, I I have a master's in finance. I went back to grad school to take it. It was nowhere near as valuable or as rigorous or as intense as three years of running a business in the real world with my own emotions, with my own money on the line. Yeah. And I think I'm at the stage where now I've advanced where I'm at least savvy enough, not that I can pick something out of the blue that's going to work, but I know what might have a better chance than other things to start when to pull the plug quicker, how to compartmentalize risk, how to deal with the ups and downs, how to diversify away risk. And again, that wouldn't have come without going through all that other stuff on the back end. And, you know, people don't like to hear that. They're like, what's the silver bullet? You know, what can I do today? You know, I want to just, I just read Curtis's book and then, you know, next year I'll be making a hundred grand. And it's like, well, not really. No, No, man, you got to, you actually got to go do work and you got to, you got to suffer. You got to make some, you know, you got to, you got to figure shit out. And I mean, like, I, you know, and it, and the nice thing is too, man, is that like all my infrastructure that I've, that I've had, I mean, it's, it's not like it's going to go to waste. And that was the nice thing too. I mean, it's not like, it's not like I wasted a bunch of money last year either. And, and I think it's the same, you know, when I, when I listen to you talk about, to, you know, Curtis and, and Darby, and I, I still got to check out your episodes with Chris, but, you know, something that's cool is, you know, you, you do from your business experience of running your business, you know, there, it's like the things that you didn't think about, you're asking them so you can, you can, you can kind of, you know, get them in a, you know, you can, you can set them up to answer the, the question of risk, this and that, and all those things you just covered. And I think that's, you know, I think the the education you get, which you just really alluded to is, I mean, it's, 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 I don't think any, there's no way you could, you can learn that other than, than doing it. And that's, and that's it. And, and by getting that experience, and I even think like me not being very successful last year made, made other aspects of my life better, made my podcast better just because I, I have more insight into situations or questions to ask people you know, when I'm talking to farmers, um, you know, like, you know, like when I just had Ray Tyler on or even just talking to, you know, Scott and I having um, people from the course on now. And it's like, you know, it was this idea that Ray Tyler gave me was, you know, something you could do is is just go through people in the course or just other people and, and ask what they learned from their, from their, from their year. And it, it doesn't even matter. Like we're going to have Curtis on and I want to have Curtis talk about you know what he learned this year because every year you're learning something new in your business so 
I'm, yeah, I'm and to... I, I, I asterisk that because I here's one thing I've realized that hopefully I add to the conversation in this movement is I'm doing this real time. It's not farming, yeah. but I'm I'm doing this in the context of what many people listening to this and my stuff are in trying to transition in the heat of it. Yeah, and, and the Chris's, the Darby's, the Curtis's, the world—they've been there, but that was like thirteen, ten years ago for some of them, and they—they'd never thought about it as much as I have, and a lot of them have forgotten the nuance, and I think they, yeah, not—they just—they play it down because they just don't—they take for granted where they're at, and it's they—they yeah. they lose sight of where it is, and I kind of see the struggles, and I get a lot of emails also from people starting out. And it's this stage that fascinates me, the call it the jump when you decide to start and then that first year. Those are the parts that I find most interesting because I think that's where success is really made because it's not the stuff in a Curtis book that's for the most part going to determine success or failure. Like most of that stuff you can get 80% right out of the book. And if it'll get you good enough, it's the stuff that you're not expecting or not thinking of that will determine success or failure. How do you balance when you have a shitty sales week? How do you react on that emotionally for a business? Well, what if that week turns into four straight weeks of crappy or Scott's experience of you go to a farmer's market, you're not doing that much in sales or the farmer's market you were going to go to cancels two weeks before the season you never predicted any of those. And those are the things that I find most interesting in how people handle them. And it's funny though, you talk to the Curtises, the Chris's, the JM's, people that have been through this. And the funny thing is they've gotten through that and now they look back at it and they're like, yeah, that was nothing. You know, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But when you're in the heat yeah. of it, it feels like everything. And then you, where they set an, ex- set an example is, is they show yeah, you're you're dealing with this battle, but once you battle those demons and get past it, it gets a lot easier. And then eventually, you look back and you look at like, well, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I forgot what that was even like. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, you do, and that's what I was trying to say when I said that you do a great job because you are in like the you know the early stages of your business, and you do a great job of translating it over to these new the farmers and stuff like that. And and something else too to add something Scott recently said is. When you start out, every decision feels like a it's huge decision, and it's not at all. And it was even like, you know, it took me forever to figure out what I was going to do about my walk-in cooler. And then I was just like, man, you know, I'm just going to build this trailer. Like, I'm just going to go up and buy this trailer, and then we're going to, I'm going to, you know, I traded I traded a car, you know, I had this extra car, and I traded it for labor for this guy to, to do all the insulation and pretty much hook everything up for me. Um and it, it, but it's, you know, there's even little things. Oh, what varieties do I get? You know, what kind of, what kind of mustard should I get? What kind of arugula should I get? And it's like, and like, it, like there's, there's, and, and that's the thing. Like you think that it and, it, and I think it goes back to a lot with school too. Like there's never in school, there's never multiple right answers, but in business there are like, there's, there's not necessarily a right way to do one right way to do something. Like you'll choose a right way. And then, you know, you, you gradually make it more and more efficient and then you might change completely the way you do it, which is, you know, looking at Curtis, 
with his uh the way he was doing holes in his landscape fabric like he was doing it a certain way for a long time and somebody else said well did you ever think about maybe doing it that way ray tyler did it. and he goes oh yeah that makes way more sense let me do it this way so it's not like curtis was doing it wrong forever it was just he found a more efficient way to do it does that make does that make sense does that tie into what we're talking about no it does <laughs> yeah, no, yeah totally and i think the idea of researching some of these things and making early business decisions and the big decisions is a bit of user error for the beginner. Yeah. Because a lot of these decisions, they don't really matter. Your business as a farmer is not going to succeed or fail because you chose X variety of mustard or because you chose mustard over kale. It doesn't matter. It's going to come down to, can you produce product on a timely basis and sell it? And can you yeah. choose the right market to sell it in? Like you could go to a Curtis and just say, okay, you want to grow radishes, salad mix, you know, here's a Johnny Seed catalog, throw a dart at the page, whatever the dart lands on, you're going to grow that variety. And he would be successful because it's the base principles. It's how he does it that makes it work. It's not the little nuance. And people, they focus on that, I think, because it's easy. It's fun. It's not a hard decision. Same thing with logo design, buying tools, these types of things, they're, they're relatively easy. I think it does go back to school. You know, it's, it's, you're researching, you're getting re hardcore results. Well, I can research the best variety of lettuce. And then at the end, I know an answer where if I decide farmer's market A versus farmer's market B, there's gut there. There's some fear there. And you're not going to know the right answer for a long period of time. And those are the decisions I think people kind of shy away from because they don't get that immediate response. Yeah, and I 100% <laughs> agree. You can't, like, you just, I think you just have to be prepared that you're going to make the wrong decisions, but then you got to learn from them. And that's, I, that's the biggest thing, man. I mean, you're going to learn a lot more from your failures, which is why, you know, Scott and I, we have this long, silly podcast name for our episodes we we're doing. Then I read the the latest, like that Scott Adams book, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. Um, and that was that was kind of it. I was like, man, like, you know, a lot of people have stories. I mean, Curtis, I mean, I mean, Curtis said it best. Like, I've just failed more and I just kept going. So that's why I'm successful. And and it's and it makes a ton of sense, man. I mean, and it's just you got to you have to. And, and I think that's what was great, too, with like your first season with Curtis is, you know, what you through your conversations you know Curtis is pretty much saying like you have to think you have to think about the absolute worst outcome and are you willing to go through that and and I think that's that's the biggest thing and if you're not then don't don't do it um right and I, I always try and ask people to quantify what the worst outcome is you know if you know what the worst outcome is then you can at least tackle it logically either in reality or mentally but just thinking i'm scared to do this because so and so so and such and such thing might happen well if you don't know what actually might happen is or how likely that is you might be setting yourself up for a lot of worry for not so you know people think well i i choose this option over this well if you choose a what are the negatives there of not choosing b if you know that then it shouldn't be as scary of a decision. And 
I think that's how you start to overcome these failures because what it also helps you do is avoid death blows. You know, putting too much money into a project, getting too emotionally invested in a project, entering a bad partnership. If you do these pre-mortems, try and blow holes in the plan ahead of time, it makes it easier to recover because the, the quote, failures shouldn't be as severe and shouldn't put so much shock into the system. And if they don't put so much shock into the system, you're less emotionally bothered by it, which means then you can do just what you said, the Scott Adams thing. Look at this, analyze it, take the best of what happened, learn, and fail forward off of that. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Diego, we're just we're just over an hour. I think that's kind of a, a good way to end the podcast. What do you think, man? Your show, man, this... <laughs> I can go as long as you want or as short as you want. I have no shortage of stuff to talk about. <laughs> I, I, I want to get you on again, man. I uh, I just try to keep these here. I think we got good flow, but, uh, um, man, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm pretty exhausted from doing all those leaves and stuff today, man. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, man. Well, so with that being said, um, I try to keep it at about an hour. So uh, my episodes recently, Diego, have been going like two hours and I, and I, I feel like I got to have a healthy mix. Not that you're not a great guest for two hours. I don't want to leave it at that. I feel like two hour know, ones are harder to edit too. Uh, they're yeah. harder to edit because I, do you, do you go back and listen to all your episodes too? Yeah. Like I multi- well, I mean, while I'm editing them. Yeah. 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 But I, have you noticed this? So let's let's talk about this real quick, and then we'll then we'll. See. Have you? Um, this is how the podcast has helped me. It's like helped me be more conscious of how I interact with people in conversations. Like I'll I'll like I would listen and I'll be like, man, you know, I really shouldn't have interrupted, or like I interrupted you earlier, and I thought, man, you just interrupted Diego. You really should let him finish talking before you say something, Drew. Try not to get so excited. I don't. I don't know if you, uh, you're pretty good at not doing that anyways, but it's just something I've learned from editing. Um, and I guess I just wanted to pick your brain about that real quick. Like how, how has the podcast kind of changed the way you, you interact with everyday life and a sense of communicating with others, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, I saw this thing on ESPN a few years ago and I was talking about Manny Ramirez when he played for the Red Sox and how after every game he would spend time looking at all his at-bats looking at his swing specifically and how he was doing, didn't matter if he got a hit or struck out. He was analyzing that. And I think the same principles apply to any of us when we do our work. So totally, when I go back and edit, it, one, helps me analyze how I've approached things. I get a lot of ideas during that process. I hear how other people respond. I kind of get cues of, how responses sound of, well, I like that, or I I don't really like how they said that, or does it come off as harsh? Does it come off as soft? And it allows me to kind of phrase things differently when I do ongoing shows with the same person like Curtis or Darby, I can kind of detect patterns of how they are. So if I detect one of them is going in one direction, say in terms of their, their mood, I can kind of start to swing that. Yeah. No, it's it's easy to tell, man. Like your shows with them are great, so I I, uh, I appreciate <clears throat> your show. I personally am a Patreon member, so if you guys listen, well, to I appreciate show, that. Yeah. Oh, you're very welcome, sir. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. You bring a lot of value to my life. Um, 
So if you guys are listening and, and you're also listening to Permaculture Voices, which I'm sure you do, most people that listen to my show listen to your show, um, and if you guys aren't already subscribing and, you know, on supporting Diego, not a bad idea, man. Do $1, $5, 10 bucks a month. Anything helps Diego. I'll do a nice plug for you right there, Diego. Um, and uh, definitely subscribe to Diego's show. And uh, so, Diego, so in the near future, if you want to tease anything, anything anything coming out soon, you, you have some Curtis uh, workshops that you guys are going to be doing here within the next couple of months? Here's, here's one that probably hasn't been announced anywhere. It may be out by the time this episode is live, but one of the projects that is in the pipeline that I'm working on that should be out then is, if you're at all familiar with this space, Jean-Martin Fortier wrote the book The Market Gardener. Up yes, until sir. now, that book has only been in print, but now that book is now an audio book. So oh, that's great. I've recorded the audio book for that in partnership with JM. So that should be out hopefully by the time this airs. And that's probably the most near-term thing I have going on. Uh, oh, that's th- great. It's the most exciting thing. I- I'd say I'm-, I'm pretty stoked about that, to have that book out there in that format. So it'll be available on my site, his site. Eventually, it'll be on Amazon, Audible, anywhere you'd find audiobooks, iTunes, etc. That's great, man. Yeah, I actually listened to some of that through. Uh, there's this cool app called Voice Dream, and you can uh, you can basically take like a PDF or an EPUB, and it will read it to you. It's kind of like a robot voice, which is cool in some regards. But I tell you what, an audiobook is still a million times better. But if it's like your only option, that's so I'm just thinking, man, that would have been great when I uh, was reading that book because I was like reading it and working on it. So that's great, man. I'm excited that I'll definitely put a link in the show notes. Um, Well, awesome, Diego. Thank you so much for uh, for for joining me. And the best way for people to to reach out or follow to you, would that be just through your contact section on your website? Yeah, right now, permaculturevoices.com. Once we get into 2017, that may change. But for now, permaculturevoices.com, and you can find me right on there. Awesome. Well, everyone, thanks again for tuning in. And Diego, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, Drew. You're welcome. Sure thing. No, 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 no. I'm.